What's going on, guys and gals? My name is Chris Tondebold, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we try to find people that have found that balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. This week, we have Jesus Jackson, a.k.a. Advocate. I've known Jesus for years and years. We get to catch up as we go through his music history, talk about his approach to writing and marketing music, and a whole bunch of other stuff. I really enjoyed this conversation, so I hope you do too. One of the things that we talk about is getting open and honest feedback. I'd really like some of that for the show, especially feedback on how the episodes are sounding. I'm putting in extra work on that front, so it would be nice to have some feedback about that. I also want to know what and who you would like to hear on the show. Hit me up on all the socials. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Spotify and subscribe on Google Play or however you get your podcast. Thank you for everything. Here's a show. Enjoy. You've had four singles right now. Uh, yep. Is that right? About four or five. Yeah. Okay. So for you, you started drumming in bands years and years and years ago, and now we've transitioned into electronic mu- music a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that transition because being a traditional musician with all the the instruments, all the acoustic not acoustic, but lack of better words, right? Mm-hmm. And then going into digital format, was that a, a challenging thing for you? Yeah, it was definitely an interesting journey because uh, you're absolutely right. I started playing in different bands, uh, predominantly in Maryland and Washington, D.C., and I, I've, been, I've been playing drums for over 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of memories of going to shows, like playing uh, over in DuPont Circle and playing in Adams Morgan and the kind of just bringing all of my drums and tearing down every night and playing shows. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, but I, I never really found like the, a band that I was like, this is like, I love this music. And this is exactly the kind of music that I really want to make. It was always like, yeah, we're making good music. Like this is good stuff. But creatively I wasn't feeling like satiated, Okay, you know? And so I was just like, I grew up, my, my parents really, um, it kind of grew me up on electronic music. Like the first album, they told me the first album that they played for me when I was a baby was Pet Shop Boys, their album called Please. And I think this was like 1986. And like Pet Shop Boys is like very electronic, it's British electronic yeah, music yeah. and they're still making stuff today. Um, and so I grew up in like Depeche Mode and Pet Shop Boys and like even like Swedish electronic music, like Ace of Bass and like that kind of stuff. Um, and so I always wanted to make music that was more electronic. And the, another thing that I was finding interesting was just the dynamic of having to rely on four or five other people consistently. Like when you're in mm-hmm. a band, there's always just like, yeah, you know, everyone's got to show up on time, you know, and everyone has different priorities. And like that can get kind of taxing on you, especially when you hit your 30s and you're like, man, I know this is what I want to do. Not necessarily as like a career, but like I really like want to do this Still as a hobby be able to pursue it yeah yeah you know and i want to go out and play shows and stuff but like you know you gotta like wear your business hat and you have to like everyone has to show up on time and we have to like talk to the promoter and, and figure all that stuff out and i kind of feel like in a lot of the bands that i was the one the one kind of doing that not not all of them but in a lot of them uh, i ended up being like kind of following that leadership role and so i was like you know why don't i just start doing things myself and so i had to had to really transition from just being a drummer Mm-hmm. to knowing how to make electronic music, how to record it. Um, you know, I, I grew up playing a little bit of piano and guitar and and I took like vocal lessons. So I mm-hmm. was sort of well-rounded in different areas. 
but my primary focus was percussion. Well, when did you start playing? Uh, just playing drums in general. Mm-hmm. About probably like 14 or 15 years old. Okay. Yeah. So as soon as you get into high school, basically started actually pursuing some music in there. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so I was like, you know, I, I really want to do this myself and I really want to give it a shot. And and I uh, I really had no idea what I was doing to start with. Like, you know, you have to figure out, okay, well, what kind of software am I going to use to like record all this stuff? Like what instruments do I need? Do I need any hardware? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I did an incredible amount of reading and like watching YouTube videos. And I ended up really getting into the software called Ableton Live, which a lot of professionals use, like churches, the band uses yep. Ableton, like a lot of the pros use it. And, um, but it's a steep learning curve. Like I remember opening that thing up for the first time, you know, like, all right, I'm going to start an electronic music project. Just being like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> like I'm just I'm looking at all these buttons and I'm just like, I, I know, I know what the record button does. And then there's like two different types of recording buttons and you're just like, well, what difference does it make? And so I, so how was that process for you? I, I know that you were kind of getting to it, but you're playing drums for the past 10, 15 years. And then going in there, was it, was it a big shock for you as far as trying to figure out actually how all the pieces fit? Cause I know it was for me mm-hmm. trying mm-hmm. to just figure out how audio interfaces work and how recorders work and what not to do because mm-hmm. that was the big thing is trying to make sure that i'm not like turning on uh all the things that i'm not supposed to because that'll definitely destroy all the the sound right yeah right yeah no, it's it, that's exactly right it, it was difficult for me because there's a lot of things as a musician that i took for granted that i had to now learn and so for example like you know just the mixing process like when you're making electronic music there's you know, you have your low range sound. You may have like a sub bass and like a bass. Um, you know, it could be like a bass synth or a bass guitar. And then you have your mid range sound. So you may have like three or four different synths playing different melodies. And then you have your high end stuff that could be like a vocal. And so across the frequency range, you have all these different sounds and you have to mix them together. And so that's where you get to like the mixing process. And and that to me was actually the the hardest thing to really understand is how to like really properly get these instruments to really sound it's like two things one the sound well playing together and then mm-hmm. how do you create that sound you know and then two like how are you going to get them to sound well in the mix because if you get two instruments playing together or two synths, sometimes it just they actually sound pretty well together like they complement each other the sound the harmonics complement each other but they don't sit well in the mix you know very right, well right and, and and it's kind of hard sometimes you're like you can't put your finger on it. you're like why don't they fit in the mix well together that's that's a very difficult thing to to figure out because also at the same time like you're listening to the same thing over and over and over again mm-hmm. and you can't figure it out while someone else could be listening to that track and be like that's that's all it is you just got to pitch this differently yeah. you got to just layer this maybe delay it put a little bit of reverb on it and then it's perfect mm-hmm. while you're just trying to like figure out all the ins and outs and it's just not clicking that's right. I think mixing and mastering is one of the the biggest things that you have to like trust someone else to really get a better view of. It helps, yeah. And then I do all of my own mixing and mastering because I, I actually find it really interesting. But when I was in a band, we would go in the studio and we let the engineer, the studio engineer, do all the work. And I remember being like, "All right, I'm going to go for a coffee break. Like, I, <laughs> I don't really care about this part of the process. You just make it sound good. Add some compression, like." 
you know, put a limiter on there and just call it a day, you know, and then now I'm like, wow, I really respect audio engineering. Like I have like a new kind of newfound respect and appreciation for what it takes to really be a good audio engineer, because these are things you don't learn overnight, right? These are right. things that like, you know, I follow the audio engineering subreddit and there's engineers on there that say, you know, it's that the 10,000 hours, right? Where it's like, you have to just listen to a lot of music yeah. and you have to make sure you treat your ears well and, and do it the proper way. But that was something that was really hard for me. Uh, so it's really like learning the software learning to, how to mix well. And then I'm still learning, you know, uh, and then getting feedback that that was interesting is that there's a lot of communities like for electronic music. And recording in general, where you can post feedback or post your songs on Reddit mm-hmm. and say, you know, I want feedback, and you'll get a lot of interesting feedback. Yeah, you get people who are like, you know, the song sucks, like, you know, or you know, it, the mix doesn't sound good, and then you get positive feedback. Where you're like, you know, this the jam is going the right direction. And I recommend switching it up here, and that was helpful for me because with feedback, you know, you have to kind of pick and choose what you want to kind of incorporate because. Sometimes people will just listen to different styles of music that you're putting out and they just don't like the style. And you have right. to be careful. Right. You have to be careful to kind of don't internalize the feedback that's just like, oh, this is just not a good song. When you know in your core, you're like, I'm creating something that's turning into something that's good. I know it's a good song. I'm just, it may not be polished yet, but how do I get there? And so I would listen to the feedback a, a lot around like energy. So people would say, like, oh, the energy really drops off in the song. You were going really well for like a minute and 40. And then minute 45, like the energy just changes and it's weird. I'm like, oh, that's really good feedback because I don't want the energy to just drop. So I listen to that. I listen to mixing feedback where people would say the mix was muddy. They're like, yeah, mm-hmm. your bass is like too loud. It's very muddy. And that was super helpful. And those are just really you know generous and kind people on the internet who aren't getting paid. They're just going to these Reddit forums and they see this guy from DC like, hey, I'm making my own music. Can you give me some feedback? And you'll get like 10 feedback posts in an hour. That's fantastic because I struggled getting feedback with the show. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was trying to, you know, bounce ideas off of people, try and uh, get ideas on what I was doing wrong, what I was doing right, and anything like that. And literally the only thing that I got was, hey, it sounds great. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. keep going. Good <laughs> job. And I was like, no, I need, I need a little bit of, like, critique with exactly. it. And that's, like, when you're doing a project of anything, like – that's one of the biggest pieces and you have to know that about yourself that you can actually take that feedback but Mm -hmm. you also have to be cognizant of the fact that i don't know what i'm doing Mm -hmm. i would like all the the feedback but like actual honest feedback not oh yeah everything sounds great just keep going what you're doing Mm -hmm. i was like i don't want that i want to be able to figure out what i can actually tweak and there's this whole podcast community there's an editing community there's all this other stuff so sort of like what your journey is with with this project um i'm kind of following along that same path with you as far as trying to figure out all the different software all that because i just used whatever was in the the audio interface box Mm -hmm. so um presonos came with studio one and that was what what i was learning on now um, I'm watching all these YouTube videos and part of these Facebook groups that no one uses the software. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's that's been a, a big thing. Trying to find it's it's amazing because on the internet there's a niche community for everything, mm-hmm. which is fantastic, and it's probably a big safety net that I'm sure that you've experienced so far as well, right? Yeah, it, it is. It's I don't know what I would do without websites like Reddit and YouTube. And, I, and there's even like uh, meetups in D.C. I go, I go to this Ableton meetup that they host monthly. And 
it's really great. This guy, uh, Edgar Diaz, hosts it for free. Like he brings his own equipment. He has a, a WeWork space in the AV yard, does it for free. And just like, he's like, what do you guys want to learn? That's amazing. Yeah. And this, this dude, like, knows Ableton, like, inside and out. Like, I it just, he's definitely like one of my mentors. And, you know, that's a great community. It's like five or six people always show up and they have very different music backgrounds. Um, and like last time we met up, we did a uh, like a feedback session where we mm-hmm. all featured a song that we were working on where we wanted feedback. And that was cool because you had one guy that was like making rap music, making like trap beats. And he wanted feedback on, you know, was the beat interesting. You had me who, you know, my music kind of classified as like uh, like chill wave or like synth wave, you know, just a lot of synths in, within the electronic realm. And you just have like, you know, then you had like a, a really a talented um, a trance musician there. She was making trance music, you know, a lot of. <laughs> I didn't even know that was still a thing. Yeah, you know, and and it was funny is that like I learned that uh, she was signed a record label and she put out this big hit in Europe like in the early two thousands and like she was showing us all this stuff and you're just like, wow, you know, so you're meeting like all these people that live in DC that we would never encounter before, but we're all on this journey together. And, uh, so yeah, it's a lot of like YouTube, a lot of just like reading books, you know, like I reading this book on mixing right now called the secrets of, uh, of mixing, uh, that I got for my, my birthday gift, you know, so like just trying to kind of, uh, just incorporate and integrate as much knowledge as I can. And it feels overwhelming sometimes. Like you're just like, yeah. I want to know everything. How does that contrast with just, playing drums for so long because mm-hmm. it, it sounded like it's a little bit more of you're close-minded on the drums you have other instruments that you're learning but you're not learning the ins and outs of recording drums either mm-hmm. you're doing just your music you're playing out you're with a band um so talk to me a little bit about kind of that that journey because this is a, a big difference i would assume mm-hmm. between what you were doing playing just mostly the drums and then now you're taking ownership of your whole project from start to finish right that's right yeah i mean with drums you really have to there's a couple things so one that you the only things you have to worry about sound wise are you know are my drums sounding good so your your drum heads are tuned like you got your pillow and the bass drum you know everything is set up the way you need it to when you're playing live Uh, you get extra sticks ready in case your one of your sticks flies out in the live show it's not it's not a very high maintenance instrument now the when you're thinking about transitioning to kind of doing everything yourself it's it's very different the percussion stuff is easy because like i know what a good like bass drum sounds like because i play drums but now i have to think about okay for example some of my music incorporates piano like i'm you know i've never I don't remember the last time I took a piano lesson, right? And so in Ableton, the stock piano instrument sounds very flat. And this is a good example where you hit it and it just sounds like a, a kindergartner's playing on like a little toy piano. And you're like, well, how do I make that make that piano sound lush and vibrant and like a lot of, you know, you can't just add v- reverb to it. Like that, that kind of enhances it a little bit. But th- that's an example where it's like with drums, I only had to really be focused on one thing. And when you're a drummer... I hit a I hit a peak where I was like I don't know how to get better at playing drums and I and I and I didn't think that I was like really really good like I thought I was good enough to be in a band but I would watch like Carter Buford from the Dave Matthews Band and be like mm-hmm. I'm never gonna be that good that guy <laughs> like why do I even play you know you know like there's so much, like Mike Cosgrove from Alien Ant Farm is really really good as well and like I I didn't really know how to get up to their level and what uh-huh. I actually did was I, I I took drum lessons um at this really great uh, drumming studio in DC 
And I did that for a while. But, you know, it's funny that electronic music was calling me. I would be like practicing my drums and a lot of it's like doing your rudiments and, you know, working on flexibility exercises. And the whole point is to try to get you to think about how to play the drums differently. Right. And it's kind of going back to basics. So they were very impactful lessons. But I was like, man, I really want to like make music like on a broader scale. I really want to make electronic music. I want to start my own project. And so I remember I went to my, my, my drumming teacher and I was like, look, I, I'm going to have to halt the lessons because I really want to start this project. And she was like, go for it, like go do it. And so that's, that's where the, the, the big shift is focusing on one instrument, knowing how to get it to work properly. And then, you know, just playing well enough where, you know, people want you in a band, yeah. you know, and then you're playing live. Uh, but then going from that being like, okay, how do I like make, how do I make my own sound? Like that's really hard. And I think a lot of people take that for granted is, you know, like when, when people hear bands that they love, they can hear like a second and they're like, oh, I know that band because that band has their own sound. And most good bands have their own sound. You can just, you know, instant, instantly like who that is when you hear the music. Creating that for yourself is really hard. Yeah, that's your whole brand. That's that's everything that that you basically stand for. So trying to find mm-hmm. your own voice with it. Writers have to do the same thing where you don't know exactly what you're writing or how you're writing until something just clicks that's a right. lot of times. That's so right. That's I think that's interesting and it it also sounds like uh that the playing instruments is a little bit more of that physical um physical action for you, right? Fine-tuning mm-hmm. the physical actions, fine-tuning the flexibilities, trying to figure out different techniques to kind of get the some different sounds out of the drums. But the digital aspect of it, where you're really opening your entire mind out to, okay, what goes with this? What goes with that? How does this layer with it? Uh, I've, I've just done a couple silly little apps on uh, my phones and, and my iPad. And even that's a little daunting. And the possibilities are endless. Yeah. And that's the thing that was so attractive to me was, you know, I, I felt like I was like, all right, I hit this peak playing drums. Like I could obviously be better and continue to get better, but I, I didn't really know how, but at the same time I was losing interest and I was like, okay, I want to learn other things. I want to start this project. Cause you know, being in one man drum show is not going to be super interesting. Right. So you know, going from that to how do I, you know, make this you know, electronic music? Like, how do I create my own sound? How do I, you know, kind of because it's overwhelming. Like when you started, the software gives you like a lot of presets. For example, right. there, there, there's like hundreds of synths that come loaded in the software, um, which is great because the software is expensive. So you're like, you better give me something to work with, right? <laughs> so you, you open it up and you're just like. The first thing was just understanding like how to record anything, like just record me like tapping on my computer and have the microphone pick it up, like just like, okay, how do I do that? Okay, all right, how do I think about time signatures in Ableton? Like how, how do I go from like 4-4 four, four to like more of a complex time signature? You know, once I learned the mechanics of that through a lot of trial and error and watching videos, then it was like, now let's explore the instruments, like what they actually give you. And it's interesting because there are two different styles of thinking when it comes to making electronic music. A lot of people are very against using presets. They're like, nope, you got to like create your own sound by using um, there's there's an instrument in Ableton called Operator, for example, where you can you can make like a bass drum kick through uh, frequencies. You know, that's what synthesizers are, right? They're taking like these frequencies and they're making 
noises based off of how much uh, low end you give it, mid and high and so forth. And you can do crazy things. You can create whatever synth sound you want, but that takes a lot of time. Like just, and I've met a lot of musicians who are like, oh yeah, I, I create my, like, my own bass drum kick you know, using operator and it took me like two weeks to do that. And you're like, well, I, I created like three songs in two weeks, you know, <laughs> I, I'd rather spend that time creating. And so the other school of thought is <laughs> <That's> great <laughs> preset presets are a great thing, but you still have to find your own sound. And so what I ended up doing one of my techniques is actually take a lot of different scents and Ableton has something called an instrument rack. And so you can layer instruments on top of each other and that's very powerful. So like one of my songs, uh, it's a song called Vices, and I get a lot of great compliments when there's like a solo, a synth solo, and people are like, dude, how do you make your synth sound so fat and like they're not thin, they're just very wide and they sound so like powerful. And I'm like, dude, that took me like, you know, 16 hours just sitting there playing with the parameters. This synth doesn't sound right with this synth. Because a lot of the instruments that do come with Ableton, Ableton, they are like kind of thin. There's not a lot of like ump to them. And so you have to know like what you're doing. And for me, it was a lot of experimentation and layering. And so that synth solo is actually five synths layered on top of each other programmed by me specifically for the sound that I was trying to get. Um, and so it, it became my sound. And so I was like, well, how do I imitate that with other songs? And that, and that way you're creating this cohesive sound because I wanted to make an album, you know, and I finally you know, have an album that's coming out in January. And, you know, that was another challenge is first find your sound and then imitate that across the other songs. So you have an album that sounds like a story. So when people listen to it, they're like, wow, this this song sounds similar to this one in a good way. And I can see why oh, the energy changes in this song, but it's telling a story. You don't want an album where it's like, man, track one sounds very different than track two. Track three sounds like a different band. And that's really hard. And I did not know that was a thing until I was a solo musician. And this goes back to an early question. Like when you're a band, you take that for granted because you're like, oh, the guitar player, like he or she's got this figured out. Bass player's doing their yeah, thing. They're all doing their own stuff and it all comes together. It comes together and you know how to cohesively create that sound when you're by yourself. You're like, okay, I, I need to like figure out how to make this stuff work and then create my own sound and then repeat it and make it cohesive if you want to make an album. A lot of musicians just release singles and that's fine. But I, for me, it was a challenge. I was like, I want to make an album. I, I put it an arbitrary number. I was like, I'm going to do 10 songs. Mm -hmm. And I ended up doing eight. Because after eight, one, I was really, really tired. And two, <laughs> two I was like, 10 is such an arbitrary number. And, uh, you know, for me, I'm, you know, short short and sweet is good. I mean, Depeche Mode's Violator was, was nine songs. And so I was like, you know, I, I've told the story. It's also, it's, it's interesting. So I've talked to a couple of different musicians here and there. Um, one is Jordan Pickens from Squid Ink, who is also Cosmic Cabin. That's his independent project. And hearing him talk about how he creates music is interesting because I think there's a, a, a dynamic shift and I think there's a different um, approach to music depending on what instrument you play, whether it's your drums, your guitar, maybe you're just a vocalist. But for him, it's he's very much a guitar noodler, like just going into everything, bass noodler, trying to figure out all these different lines that he can do, all this other stuff, and he'll just start playing. He'll just start improvising and just keep going. I feel like with drums, and I'm probably projecting this a little bit more, but I feel like with drums, it's a lot more structure 
and rhythm and you have to kind of go and carry the song for the most mm -hmm. part, right? You're keeping the beat going. Yeah. The guitar can do basically whatever they want to. The bass can also, uh, they have a lot more leeway in a traditional song structure. Um, and the drums have to kind of keep it driving and, and keep it going for the most part. They're right? the backbone. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear him talk where all he's doing is letting him write and he just goes off on a tangent and that's how he builds his songs. Mm -hmm. So there's no, there's no structure. There's no real forethought to it. Um, he has some kind of backbone in, in, in the back of his mind on what he really wants to do. Maybe he wants to be in this type of genre. This, he wants to be uh, a little spacey, whatever it is, right? But for the most part, once he sits down, all he's doing is basically improvising until it sounds good. While for you, it sounds like it's a much more measured approach, trying to do step by step. And then you have an end goal in mind mm -hmm. and what you want to do. But it's all the different steps because you're literally doing everything from scratch up up front to or up towards this album that you're dropping in January. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I had a, had a vision for the album and I knew what kind of sound I wanted to make. I didn't know how to get there. But once I got there, what's hard is when you're actually working on one individual song. And so, you know, I, a lot of a lot of other musicians I meet assume they're like, oh, because you're a drummer, you must start with the drum track first. And I'm like, no, drums are usually last in my song. And they're like, what the hell? And they're like, that doesn't make any sense. Don't you care about the drums the most? I'm like, not necessarily for me. I find what's more interesting are the melodic elements of a song. Like I find, like I, I for example, I, I love the piano. Like I love the, the just the sound of a really good synthesizer, the 808s. Like I, I love that. And and I and I also love like a great you know drum and bass and drums are obviously important, but drums usually come last in my song. Um, and for when while I make a song, I'll usually just have like a four four kick, just in the background, just so I can hear how the synth just would keeping sound. Time. Yeah, that's right. But when you when you make a song like, at least for me, I don't really go in it with a structure approach. Like I may work on, I may start laying some ideas down, and it may become the end of the song. It may be the bridge. It won't be the the intro. And it reminds me of a, I watched a Dead Mouse's master class mm -hmm. recently, and and it was a good master class because he he's a really opinionated guy, but he's also really honest. And he's like, you know, he, people ask him all the time, like, how do you make these beautiful songs? And he's like. I don't know. Like he's like, <laughs> but he was very honest, which I appreciated. He was like, he was That's like, fantastic. He was like, I don't start with. I'm gonna start with the intro, and then I'm gonna do verse one. I'm gonna do chorus. He's like, I just lay down ideas, and then they kind of form. And my process is exactly identical when, when it comes to making a song. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just like I'll play around, and I'll have a melody in my head. I'm like, okay, let me let me lay that MIDI down, just laying out the melody. Okay, let me come up with a bass line. And sometimes it can take a long time. Like the longest time I worked on the song was three months. I just kept going back into it. I'm like, eh, it doesn't sound right. Or I just, you know, it sounds great, but I want to change this up. And then the quickest has been like a day where mm -hmm. I finish the song. And, and it's ironic in the way where it's like, or it's interesting where the one song that took the day to make has the most streams like on Spotify. Um, and the the longest song has like no stream. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just like, and you like at the analytics, you're like, <laughs> it, it, there, there's one particular song called Halcyon uh, that I have mm -hmm. um, like 500 monthly listeners rocking out to it in 25 different countries. And then the other song that took me three months, you know, it's like 20 people in like the United States, which is great. I mean, 20 people still like, I'm, I'm happy that people are enjoying my music. 
Um, but I'm like, that is so funny how that one song, <laughs> Halcyon, was actually very easy for me to create. It was one of those songs that just like, you know, when you're doing something you're passionate about and you're on fire. And, yeah. and that, I remember yeah. it was like Saturday, it was sunny. I was in in the music room in my apartment and it just ideas were flowing and, and like shit was really just sticking. And I was like, wow, this is this is song has turned out to be really good. And I didn't get up like I went up to like make a sandwich and use the bathroom from time to time. But it was from like 8 a.m. to about like 2 a.m. the next day. And I mixed it and I was like, this is like a really good song. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if anyone's, ever, you know, you, they get the songs. Do you feel like they get lost in the ether of the right. internet? You're like, right. who's going to listen to this? Like, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I just think that's funny where like the other song, uh, Vices, took me a long, long, it took me like three months because I kept rewriting it. But yeah, that that happens where it's. <laughs> You, you, there's really no process to, you know, for at least for me, there might be people out there who go, you know, I, I have to start with an intro. And I, but I feel right. like you limit yourself when you do that, because what if you're creating, you're creating this really badass melody, but it sounds better as like a chorus. You're like, well, you're kind of locked in there if you follow that rigid structure. For me, I don't like locking myself. And I'm like, if it sounds like a chorus, it's going to be a chorus. Then what comes after? How do I transition? That's another thing that's really hard for me is transitions, because I, I don't like abrupt transitions. Mm-hmm. I try to and my songs try to make them like seamless and smooth as possible. I can spend hours thinking about transition. Like, do I transition to a different key? Um, does the energy change, but not too much? Like, how much? Um, you know, and so, yeah, there's, there's a lot to think about. My favorite thing growing up was making mix CDs. And there was a couple different programs that you could use. But that transition from song to song, that was like the most important thing to me. Right. It was it was wild how I got fixated just on this, and I remember one of my uh, proudest moments was finding a song that ended with clapping and a song that started with clapping. So it was just a, a legitimately seamless transition from one song to another, and they were pretty different, but it was like a perfect transition. And I think about that all the time. Like I, I pay attention to that when uh, the whole album's going. Uh, I pay attention to that a lot because it's it's. I think it's one of the more difficult things to keep the story going with an album and making sure that it actually goes through because concept albums are great or like an overall story is great, but it, a lot of times it's very difficult to keep that thread going all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really hard. And, and I've, I gave that a lot of thought in my, uh, when I created my album where you have like, the, for me, it was, I had these eight songs done. Now I have to listen to them over and over again, back to back in different permutations to see how well the energy like was measured across the album. Cause I completely agree. Like when you listen to an album that doesn't have those good transitions or the energy is not right, or the sound is not cohesive, it, it's not a good user experience or it's not the best user experience for the listener. And so I really wanted the listener to have like a really good user experience. I wanted people to kind of hear a story playing. And so yeah, one night just sitting there with like bourbon in hand, just listening to my own music, feet kicked back. And it's like, oh, man, I would have changed that about the chorus on this song. But it's too late now. I've already submitted it to Spotify. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things. But then you have to keep focused. You're like, all right, okay. And I got to a point where I was like, you know, this, I, I, for example, I started off the um, the album with a song called Neon Midnight. It has a lot of energy. It comes on really mm-hmm. strong. And the beat is pumping. And then the next song is also high energy. And then the third song slows down a bit. And it's a song, I, th- I think, I believe it's Hope. That's number three. 
And it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I, I was very cognizant of that. I'm like, all right, I want to start off with high energy, but I want to give the listener a breather. I don't want them to kind of feel like they have ear fatigue and they're like, dude, man, this, this stuff is like so pumping, but I need a break. And so I give that a thought where it's like, okay, the third song is pumping. Maybe the fourth are not as pumping. It's more relaxing. The fourth song, now we pick it back up a little bit. And so it's kind of like a wave. And so, and then the eighth song, the very last song is a very upbeat, um, energetic song. I think it's in, in the key of C. So it's a very bright C major. It's a very mm-hmm. bright sa- uh, sounding song. Um, and a lot of the other songs are like minor chords and just minor keys. So the energy changes from kind of like dark and very energetic to you know, kind of you know chill, more relaxing to this upbeat, you know, song at the very end. And I like that because I wanted listeners to be like, oh, wow, there's it, the last song sounds optimistic. And I wanted them to kind of have that feeling like, huh, it's, yeah, it's, they, they, I, okay, Advocate took me on an on emotional journey. You know, I want them to feel that. Because I remember feeling that when I listened to some of my favorite albums, like, you know, Counting Crows, August and Everything After. Mm-hmm. Like when that album came out in 94, I was like, what? <laughs> like, you know, you hear like Mr. Jones on the radio, but then you hear Mr. Jones in the context of the album and you hear it after like Round Here and some of the other songs on the album and you're like, wow, these guys really create something special. I Because really... it's almost like a little town in that album. Yeah. 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 And I wanted to create something similar, um, you know, where just, just the, the vibe. I wanted listeners to be like, okay, this guy gave this a lot of thought and I can I can understand the story that he's trying to tell. With the way that you're taking the approach to your first album, I think this is your first full length, right? So this is a very measured approach to where you're actually releasing singles, you're doing promos, you're doing all this other stuff. A lot of bands miss that mark where they record something, they master it or mix it, whatever, and they're just like, well, I'm releasing it. Like, yeah. I, it's done. <laughs> I don't care. I just want, I want an out. I want an mm-hmm. out. Like there's, there's always an itchy trigger finger mm-hmm. with it. And I think that's interesting because from, from you, you've played music for a long time. You've probably released a couple um, albums in the past with mm-hmm. different bands. So with this approach to your own project, was that something that you were conscious of that you were, you had a roadmap for? Yeah, yeah. So I did. I did have a roadmap, and because you you hit a really important point around just like there's making music, but then getting your music out there and getting it picked up by listeners. That's it's, yeah. it's a big battle, right? And I find the marketing aspect of the music stuff it's my least favorite thing to do, and it's really hard because it's a very saturated market, right? There's a lot of supply. And, um, and so what my roadmap was, I was like, okay, well, the first thing is I want to create an album close to around 10 songs. I want it to be cohesive. And that right there is very, um, very different. It's a very different approach. Uh, I did release, you know, five singles that are on the album, but uh, a lot of musicians I meet and even a lot of famous musicians, especially in electronic, don't ever put out any albums, even EPs. Because they find it a lot of work and they find mm-hmm. like the payoff isn't as good if, rather than just release, you know, like a really hot single in the summer and get like two million streams and that pays their rent for the next eight months. They're going to do that, you know, because they're like, yeah, this is great. It's not not a lot of work um, to create like a really good song that's good enough for it's the radios are going to pick it up. And you may have like a label marketing helping you with that. Um, but 
I didn't really want to take that path because a big thing for me was like, I'm, I'm doing this for personal enrichment, you know, and like creativity. And I'm not really caring about, you know, getting signed or doing any of that stuff. But I was like, all right, first step in the roadmap is create this album. But then while I'm creating it, I need to start releasing singles and putting a little bit of a marketing energy behind it. And there's a lot of different ways you can market your stuff. There's obviously like, you know, Facebook is great. Um, I have a Facebook page and like Instagram you know, and just you know, trying to get organic followers from there. And usually you start with your friends and your friends will kind of outward and you have like the, you know, the, the two degrees or six degrees of separation, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Uh, but then there's also services like I use a service called Submit Hub where you submit your songs to bloggers uh, or Spotify playlisters. And you pay like it's, it's funny, you pay like a dollar for a token and every submission to a blog is one token. And I've never, I, you know, when I first started this, I was like, I've never heard of Submit Hub, but it's huge. And, um, and just, especially electronic music, but just music in general for people who are independent artists who really want to get their music out there, um, but don't have the backing of a label or yeah. like a PR firm. And so it's great. So I bought like 10 tokens. I was like, all right, it's $10. Like if I, you know, don't get anything, that's fine. And I got all rejections, right? <laughs> 10 blogs got back to me. And it's funny, you have an option of asking for feedback and they mm-hmm. have to listen to the song for 60 seconds or no feedback, but they have to listen to it for 90 seconds. And I always choose the latter because I feel like once I submit my song to you, it's done. I don't really want feedback. I want you to maximize your time listening and, and making a decision, right? You either like it or you don't. And so after a while, you know, I, I eventually got some acceptances. Like you'll get an email saying, hey, like this, like there's a blog for, um, was it headphones for robots? Um, really cool blog. Um, I, don't get mad at me if you're listening to this and I'm wrong, but I think based out of the UK. Um, but they, like, they were like the first acceptance I had. And that was really cool because the, the guy personally sent me a note. He was like really digging this song, would really like to write a blog post about it. And that's when you feel like you're getting somewhere like, all right, someone who listens to a lot of music, like yeah. it was like your song yeah, is yeah. good enough to be on my blog. And that was, you know, and that was very nice. Um, and then there's like, you know, Instagram boosts and Facebook boosts. Like I haven't done any of that stuff. And I, I'm, I'm kicking myself because I'm like, look, your album's coming out on the 17th of January. Maybe you should do an Instagram boost. But I'm like, what the hell does that even do? Not you much. Know? I can tell you, not much. Yeah, and I'm also like, if I wasn't on my Instagram, my phone, and it was just like, here's some random band that comes up, like our album's coming out, I'd be like, oh, that's cool, guys. But like, I wouldn't necessarily be like, ooh, I'm intrigued. I'm gonna go click on it. Right, right. right. It's uh, it's it's not worth it. Um, I I use it here and there to try and boost up an episode or get more views, and it doesn't. It's the word of mouth for mm-hmm. the most part that that does it the most, and you know, just a couple of people that actually believe in what you're doing. Yeah, um, that that makes all the all the difference. Um, but that's that's really interesting. I've never heard of that Smith Hub. Like that's that's amazing. Yeah. I didn't think that anything like that was around, but it makes a lot of sense. It's it's huge because it's very transparent. It's like the um the bloggers get 50 cents out of every, um, you know, transaction. And then, and then submit hub obviously keeps the other 50 cents. And so it's a great business model because bloggers, they have to do a lot of work. They have to curate and listen to a lot of music and they have to write about it. And a lot of these bloggers were feeling overwhelmed. And then the guy who creates submit hub has his own blog. And that's why he created it. He was like, why don't we get paid to do this? And because we're spending so much time doing it. And it's brilliant because it's, it's mutually beneficial for everybody. Like the musician, you know, gets to, 
and you get a profile on every blogger, like what music they like, what music they don't like. So you can see like, it'll say, do not send me electro pop or don't send me rock, but please send me this kind of music. And you can see like a, a little bit of a bio where the blogger will say, hello, my name is so-and-so. Um, these are the songs I typically like to accept. And then you can see statistics. So you can actually see their acceptance rate, how long they take to respond, uh, the styles of music they generally accept. And that's how I, I became smarter, maybe like on my third or fourth submission to mm-hmm. some of these blogs. I was looking very deeply at that point at the statistics. And I was like, okay, if my music is, is classified as synthwave, I really need to only target the bloggers who have a high approval rate of synthwave songs. And the ones I started doing, that's how I got picked up by like headphones for robots okay. and some of the other bloggers. But it takes some time to kind of realize that because you get really excited. And you're like, I'm just going to send it. It's a numbers game. I'm going to send it to 50 bloggers. Here's $50. And then you get 50 rejections and you're like, what the hell happened? Yeah, that probably doesn't feel good. Yeah, the numbers game doesn't work, right? <laughs> like it, it's, 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 you know, someone will eventually say yes. No, that's not how life works. You really have to like spend the time. And I, so I would go to like these bloggers and I would listen to like the last five songs that they accepted on their blog. And I'd be like, does my music sound anywhere near like this? And the answer was no. I'd back away. I'm like, nope, go to the next blogger. If there was like, yeah, there's some songs in here where there's no lyrics because I, you know, I, I don't sing and I sure. don't have any lyrics in my songs. So I had to make sure they were open the instrumentals, you know, and, and doing that was really important. Uh, yeah. And that's how, you know, I got, you know, some acceptances. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I never would have thought anything like that exists. It's. Like what you said, it's a good business model because it is very beneficial to everything that's happening. Um, that is really interesting, though, as far as I, I assume I don't want to get off too much of a tangent with this, but I assume also these are blogs that have their a bigger footprint or an established clientele to where they can go ahead and submit for being part of Submit Hub. Um, but that, that's just so interesting because that, that, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Right. And it's it's it benefits you too because it's not fifty dollars per submission. It's That's only right. it's only a dollar. Like that yeah. that works out so much because like what you said before, there's such a big supply mm-hmm. that they can probably make it to where it's not that big of a deal for the independent artist because it's only a dollar. You can get a That's burger right. if you want, but or you can try and get a little bit more um advertisement or whatever right someone else that's almost a guaranteed play right Mm -hmm. 60 to 90 seconds it's almost a guaranteed play that they're going to listen to the whole bit Mm -hmm. which is great uh and then they get 50 cents that i i like that i i wish i i wonder now if there's anything for a podcast it's an interesting model yeah it definitely is and and it's interesting because there's a lot of scams out there too and i'm not going to mention websites by name don't want to get in any kind of trouble, but there's other websites where it's like, oh, pay us $500 and then we'll, we'll submit your songs to like uh, Apple Music and Spotify playlists. And I've heard so many horror stories about these sites. And a lot of it's just through the Reddit community. And that's how I found out about Sub- yeah. Submit Hub. You know, there's this link where I come back to Reddit because it's, it's so helpful. Yeah, but there's a, and that, that was scary to me because I was going to use one of those sites. So I was like, is this really a scam? But it could be worth it. Like, you know, paying crazy amount of money, like $500. And then maybe that will get sent to sent to like 1 million people, but I couldn't do it. I was like, no, if there's really like, I know nothing's guaranteed when you're doing this stuff, but if there's really no, like, like tracking, there's no like transparency around, like you don't even know the playlist that your song is getting submitted to. It just seemed very like black box. And that's how I was like, no, this, this doesn't sound right. Submit hub is completely transparent. You can go visit the blog. 
You can see how many people come. Like you can talk to the people. You can chat with them. That's fantastic. That's a whole other community in there to where it's a fully beneficial thing. Yeah. So the dude that that made that is was really thinking about everything and mm-hmm. sounds like he's he's doing it for the better good rather than trying to make a buck. That's that's definitely a thing. Um even if uh you know you're trying to play shows out which you've played in bands before when mm-hmm. you were younger, right? There were mm-hmm. those not predators, but there were those that were trying to make money off of younger musicians. Oh, I got so many stories. <laughs> right, right, and that's so, and that's that's something that's going to be interesting to talk about a little bit is that dynamic between trying to play live shows. Because I don't know if you have any kind of plans about trying to play out with Advocate, but it's a bigger difference, especially when you're younger, about how you're going to play, where you're going to play. Is it even safe to play here? I'm young, I'm naive, I don't know what they're taking my money for. Am yeah. I going to just pay for all these tickets? I don't know what I'm doing with my life right now. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And and, I, and as part of the roadmap, I do have uh, aspirations to plan out in 2020, play out in 2020. So I, I'm actually figuring out my live setup now, which is a whole different world. You make the song <laughs> and then you're like, how do I play it live? Like you're literally like rewriting it. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Like when I would play live, like the last time I was in a band or I play live, I mean, it was, it was a while ago. It was maybe like eight, nine years ago. And so I was much younger. Thankfully, a, a good friend of mine, Mike, um, was our guitar player. He was really good at like making sure people paid us when they said they were going to pay mm-hmm. us, making sure that like, you know, there wasn't a lot of shady stuff. But it was amazing. We would play out in D.C. Like there's bars in Adams Morgan where we'd play like every Friday night. And, and, and usually... On a Friday night, even if you're an opener, the band may make like a hundred or three hundred dollars. Which to me, I was like, I don't care, man. Like I'm playing drums, I'm doing what I love. You can just give me a beer as my payment. Right, I'm right, happy. Right. Um, but they, they didn't get there the night. The promoter was like, Well, you didn't bring as many people as you said you would, because at the door they'll say to ask the person like, Who are you sure, here to see? Sure, and they, yeah. they can collect analytics on that. And then it's just like, Well, we never agreed to that. And the, and the guy would be like, Oh no, you guys aren't getting paid. And Mike would, you know. Mike is kind of a big guy and he would come in and he would, just, <laughs> he would like, you know, just look really intimidating, puff out his chest and be like, so, you know, that doesn't make any sense, right? And he would like get in the, the promoter's face and be like, we're not leaving until we're getting paid. And so I don't know what we would have done without, you know, personality like that where who just was like, that's not right. We're going to not do that. Um, but that was really um, like disheartening and became you know, a little bit of a disenchantment. We were just like, man, this is so ridiculous. Like people agreed to do something and then they're like, I'm not doing it. And they lie behind your back. Uh, or right to your face rather um yeah th- that that's hard and those are things like i'm keeping in mind for when i go out and play because i'm probably going to start as an opener right people you know are just starting to know who advocate is and you know i've i've thankfully have been invited by a couple bands to play out like in new york and and i'm really excited to like get the travel up to like philly new york to mm-hmm. play shows but I'm, my risk radar is going to be on like i'm going to be like <laughs> is, this, is this club that we're playing look legit like, you know, if I am getting paid, how much am I getting paid? Like, how is the payment going to happen? Like, you have to think through those things because if not, people will screw you over. I've read a lot about the music business. It's um, not, it's not a great. very friendly business. Dead Mouse talks about this in his master class. He uses a lot of F words and cursing when he talks <laughs> about the music business. <laughs> Uh, and he actually started his own record label called Mousetrap um, because of it. And he's trying to, you know, get artists uh, signed the what he thinks is the right way. Um, it's it's tough. It's tough. And that's why I'm so fortunate that I'm not doing this for a living. I feel like it'd sure, be yeah, a yeah. lot more stressful 
you know, and just like, oh my God, I, I would be obsessed with the analytics, right? Like I look at my my Spotify analytics probably like once a week uh, just to see, oh, girl, like 20 new people. But if I was getting like, if this is my livelihood, I'd be there every hour like, <laughs> why did it drop down by two? I look at it a couple of times uh, a week and I don't know, I, I've, I'm trying to get better. This the the balancing act between what you want to do versus what your actual real life is is tough. Um especially for me when I work retail in the holiday season, it's I'm going to probably shut down and just focus on that and then go to sleep and mm-hmm. then go back to work and then go to sleep and then go back to work. Right. Um but it's interesting cuz even if I don't post an, a new episode, I still get a handful of listeners and it keeps going and it keeps going. And I'm just like, that's actually cool. Yeah. 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 That, that makes me feel pretty good. That's uh, that's all right. I, like I haven't done anything in a, a few weeks and there's still, there's still people racking up the plays and I'm just like, this is, I don't think this is how this is supposed to work, but it makes me feel good. <laughs> there's nothing else like it really. It's like when it, it's, especially when you're doing music, there's a high to creating a song, putting it out there. And people personally writing you or just getting a lot of streams where people are digging the song, you know, and it's just like because you really we're kind of prisoners to ourselves when we're making music because we think it sounds good. But like it's kind of human nature when we create something, whether it's like a painting or anything, we build something. We think it's amazing. Other people may look at it and be like, what, what did you just do? Right. And so. I remember when I first started making songs under Advocate, I was like, all right, these to me sound good. And you don't want to necessarily just listen to your friend's feedback because friends will be friends. And they'll say, this is amazing. They're too nice. They're too nice. Yeah, this is amazing. And so it, that was really great when the to, to your exactly your story, when the streams were really starting to hit and, and it hit like 500, I was like, oh my goodness. And it's just cool to think like, you know, like you know, like I said earlier, twenty three countries. Like Italy, I have like a few streams. It's like someone in Italy is like someone in Rome is like sitting there, like at a coffee shop, maybe doing right. homework and listening to my my chill music. And you know what's funny about that is this wasn't a thing fourteen fifteen years ago, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're in a band, you don't think about that. That's right. Unless unless there's one person in your band that's just like, I really want this music out there. I'm really obsessed with this. You play out a lot more. Mm-hmm. You're able to do a lot more live stuff. You're you're focused on live shows. You're focused on actual seeing humans in front of you. That's right. When you're an electronic artist where it's a lot more isolated, seeing those views, seeing that, that's your connection to other people. The Reddit community, the... The online community is of much bigger importance to you. Even even a podcast just like this, that's a it's a it's very very difficult to have a human connection because I can't really do this live right at the moment, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But being able to at least have that that online community is a big difference and a big uh, a thing that keeps me kind of actually driven to keep going, mm-hmm. which is nice. Um, but it's, it's interesting, like what that whole thing that you were just talking about, there were people in Spain or Italy that was listening to my stuff too. And I was like, why you, (laughs) that's just silly. Don't do that. And me being super pessimistic, I'm just like, oh yeah, someone's using a VPN. So that Mm. makes sense. So I'm getting someone from a European country when it's actually someone from here trying to go through a couple different back channels to 
keep them off the radar or whatever. And I was just like, that's dumb. Stop thinking about that. Yeah, it's okay. No, like it, there's, there's, it's, it's there's someone other in Barcelona. Yeah. It's like listening to your, <laughs> to your podcast. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a wild thing. Um, so let's talk about where, where did advocate come from? So, uh, it's, it's interesting coming up with a name for, for the project was really hard. Um, and I don't remember like a lot of the different iterations and examples of names I went through, but I, I wanted something meaningful, uh, that, that could tell a story that was short and sweet. I don't like long band names. Mm-hmm. And so at my last job, so I work in IT and and I was leading like a pretty large team. And when I would get reviewed at the end of the year, one of the feedback like points that ca- always ca- kept coming up um, for me was you're a really good advocate of your team. Like you really know how to grow people. You know how to like lift people up and give them opportunities and that really touched me and that was really meaningful to me because I, I always wanted to be that kind of leader and that kind of person. And so when I was thinking about the name, I was like, I was thinking about that and my job and I was like, advocate, I'm an advocate of people. And I was like, huh, advocate is kind of a cool name just on its own. It's short and sweet. It's the first letter of the alphabet A, so it'll show up at the top, <laughs> uh, you know, and then, but, that, but I changed the spelling of the name for a couple of reasons. One is that when words, um, psychologically, when words are misspelled, they're actually easier to remember. Um, okay. so like churches does this, they change the U to a V. They actually did that for Google search purposes. They said in the interview, but, um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. If they didn't, I mean, churches, they, they, yeah, they, it would be very difficult to find that. It would, yeah, it would suck for them. And then I, I advocate is a word. I mean, English is, is hard in the sense of English words. is a stupid language. It is. It's kind of bastardized. And uh, advocate and advocate can be pronounced from the same word. And I didn't want people walk around saying, yeah, I heard advocate and people being confused. Like, what is he advocating? Right. And so, yeah, that's why I changed the advocate. So people knew how to say it. It forced it. Um, But there was a there was meaning behind it. I interviewed Don Zentera of Inner Year Studios and I did a terrible job. So it won't ever come out. (laughs) Um, that was all me cause I was just stupidly nervous talking to like someone that I respect that has done so many records that have like changed my life mm-hmm. and I just couldn't get my foot out of my own mouth the oh, entire yeah. way. <laughs> but I asked him about inner ear studios and, um, I was like, where did that name come, came from or come from? And, uh, he was just like, yeah, someone just said, yeah, it's the inner ear. Like that's how sound gets made. Like that's, that's how mm-hmm. just sound processes it. So it wasn't a big story. It was just, that's, that makes sense. Like, that's how you process sound. It's just the inner ear. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I thought it was way more, like, substantial <laughs> and way more meaningful. Like, that story, I was expecting something like that. Uh-huh. And uh, nope. It was it was just like, this is the most practical thing that I could think of. So yeah. you're welcome. It's funny. It's hard because, um, like, it's hard for me to come up with song titles, too. And I don't have a lot of deep stories for those. A lot of it's like... I get a lot of questions from friends like, why'd you name Halcyon Halcyon? I'm like, well, it's a cool word, Uh, (laughs) you know, and when I listen to the song, I think I I think of nostalgia and that's what Halcyon is defined as. Right. When we're thinking of like nostalgic, a time period in our life that has passed. The same thing with another song called Hope. Like, uh, you know, I listen to it and I feel hopeful and optimistic for the future when I listen to it. And actually, when I was writing the song, I remember I was feeling very like optimistic and hopeful. And so I was like. Why don't I just call it hope, you know? And so, but there's no other like me- method, you know, I mean, that that's really it. Uh, you, you brought up an interesting point earlier. I want to kind of go back to mm-hmm. quickly where you talk about like 
when, when your your music goes out there or you know, your podcast or whatever you know artifact you're creating goes out there and you know there have there's all these people around the world that are listening to it that's what's amazing now because it's it's creating all of these like what they call bedroom producers yes you know these people yes. who don't need record labels anymore who are creating songs like like i do everything on a macbook and i have an m audio keyboard that's it i don't have like, any crazy hardware i don't have a recording studio in my apartment and some speakers like that's it right and so it's it's amazing now that's the paradigm has shifted and it's such a game changer where like anybody can just put music out there yeah. and to me it's really exciting like some musicians get kind of well that means it's going to be harder to get noticed i'm like who cares man like the more music like the better, the more opportunities to partner, you know, more opportunities to play shows together. Um, but I, I just found it really interesting that, that that's how it is now. I've talked about it uh, before where podcasts are, are such a niche thing too, where just as long as you get your voice out there and you just be yourself, you're going to find some kind of following. It might not be mm-hmm. a big following, but you're going to find someone that kind of thinks like you, that likes what you're doing, mm-hmm. that basically digs your personality like don't don't hide it mm-hmm. you know just be be yourself that's going to be the the most genuine person and they'll be able to sniff out any kind of fake um any kind of act any kind of facade just be yourself it's not that big of a deal right mm-hmm. and then uh the other piece to that too they're bedroom producers so there's uh, a dude that i follow on youtube andrew huang who is this huge YouTube star doing music. He started like 12 years ago, just in his basement, playing music, producing music, learning as he goes, and just posting videos. And now he's got millions of subscribers, the hundreds of, I think thousands of songs maybe, at least hundreds of songs. Um, He's very prolific, and it's insane what he does. Um, We were talking about, sounds and how to create sounds he goes and does actual uh field recordings of oh that's cool different yeah. stuff so uh that that's how i got into it he was recording like pianos dropping i think and re- using those as kicks and bass drops and all this other stuff so he would he shows you how to like pitch down and use the the ableton software to do everything that you can think of and it's just insane to me the level of technology that's Mm -hmm. there but also the fact that uh you have people out there that have built huge kind of empires out of what they want to do and Mm -hmm. just putting out music or putting out podcasts or or doing whatever they want to in the comfort of their own home and then people are latching on to that yeah and i'm hoping that because that's what happened to me i just started listening to podcasts and i was like i think i can do that i think i can talk to people enough mm-hmm. and hopefully it grows if it doesn't not a big deal it's that artifact which i i really like that that artifact for me this is just a record of everything that I'm mm-hmm. doing. Like right. this is fantastic for me. Being able to see you that I haven't seen in years and actually talk about what you're doing. That's fantastic for me. So having and seeing that is inspiring. Like it, it's fantastic to be able to see all this stuff and be like, I can do that too. Yeah. It's great. It's really cool. And the the field recording stuff is amazing. Like I was watching a video the other day of this guy used a recorder he recorded his cat's meow and then he made an entire song in ableton from it 
And, and to do that, you have to actually be really good at Ableton. Like I, I, I have <laughs> yeah. no idea where to start. Um, but this guy, you know, created a bass drum, created like a melody from his cat's meow. And when you listen to it, it doesn't sound like a cat, obviously, but you're just like, wow, like that's really, really amazing. Yeah. It's really, really exciting time for music, you know? And I think that, um, that's funny. I, I, I love talking about the music business and I could talk hours about it, mm-hmm. but you know, it's record labels are really shifting because of this, you know, and their strategies are shifting and bands are becoming smarter about, you know, demanding, you know, the right compensation. You know, it's like there's models that record labels used to do and they don't do them so much anymore, but they used to be called like 360 deals. I don't know if you're yep. familiar yep. with them, yep. but yep. Yep. for your listeners, like for folks who don't know about them, they're, they're, they're really, really, really shitty deals because uh, 360 deals essentially says every revenue stream that the band is generating the record label gets a cut of it. So merchandise shows and, um, and that's not really fair, right? If you think about like the record label, you know, should be getting money from record sales, right? And, and they need to get paid back because a band gets an advance against royalties when they first get signed, they may get like a million dollars that covers studio costs and all these things. And, you know, the record label needs to recoup those costs completely understand that. But 360 deals are bad. And there's been a lot of really well-documented cases like the Goo Goo Dolls, for example, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they didn't like break even until like their album Gutterflower came out. And that was way after like Iris was out, you know, and that that was and that's funny if you think about it, like Iris, they're, they're probably arguably their biggest song was on a movie like a Nicolas Cage movie and was on the radio and they were broke poor that year that's insane because that's they had the so horrible, crazy. They had a horrible contract from their It was actually. The record label that they were signed previously to their uh, current record label at that time, which I think was Warner. So Warner was like, that's not our problem. You had this really shitty record contract with another label. You have to deal with that. And Warner wasn't really supporting them or doing anything. And most record labels, it, it makes sense. It's smart for them not to get involved in that. But so they were like kind of torn between answering to, to Warner, but then also, you know, having this really, really, really bad contract that they try to argue was enforceable, but it's a contract. Like, right. Like, right. Well, once you sign it. You know, and so that was a big lesson learned for them. But that was eye opening reading about that because that's just a horrible position to be in where people were probably congratulating them in the 90s being like, you guys are millionaires now. Iris is like all over the place. The, the, the album Dizzy Up the Girl that Iris was on did really well. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, oh, thanks for congratulating us, but we're still broke. Like, <laughs> that's got to be like a really <laughs> shitty feeling, you know? Yeah, we're, you're famous, but you're not rich. Yeah, like there's there's a there's a big difference between that, and that's why a lot of rich people aren't famous mm-hmm. because they're they're there making money instead of actually uh, trying to to get their name out there a little bit more, or they're famous in in other ways. So that's there's there's not a lot of substance to it sometimes, which is interesting. Um, I think one thing too is that there's not as many developmental deals either. Mm-hmm. So like what you were talking about, where everybody kind of is smarter money-wise and all that stuff, but that's actually done a different thing, which is labels want you to prove themselves, prove mm-hmm. yourselves before you actually get signed. So if you don't have those hundreds of thousands of streams already, or if you're not selling out shows, they don't really care too much. They want you to be able to be like a self-sustaining model and then put some money behind you. So right. I think it's interesting because there is the record labels that are doing safer investments for the most part. And then the, the musicians that are trying to be smarter and safer as well. And it's, it's kind of a clash again to where 
you know, everybody's dream 30, 40 years ago was to be on a label. And now it's just to get the music out there and the communities are there for it. So the safety nets are there for it and all that. Um, And then you have people like you that are balancing out their, their full life with their IT career, their, their relationships, their, their family with doing actual what they they want to do which is the the music side of it and mm-hmm. not not caring as much like the the end goal may not be a multi-million dollar recording contract mm-hmm. right it could just be to play shows and to like make more albums mm-hmm. or you know this is your outlet whatever it is right yeah. so i know this is kind of my outlet i used to do concerts and now i do this which is great um but I how how does that work for you how does how is balancing out and this will get even more complicated when you start doing shows, but how does that, that work out for you now where you can trap yourself in a room for 24 hours almost making yeah, a, yeah. one record or yeah. one song? Um, how, do you, how do you balance that out between what you're doing family and, and career-wise with what you want to do? And that's a great question. So I, I definitely spend a lot of time on music. Um, on average, probably about 20 to 30 hours a week. Um, I haven't been doing that recently because what, what I did was I once I set the release date and I put the album out, I've been doing a little bit of marketing and I, and I actually I've been taking a break and doing other things. Um, and these are just like just getting through books that I've been wanting to read and like even maybe like a video game or something like just do something completely different. Um, well, also like, you know, make sure I spend time with friends and family and do that. But when I was making the album and I started it in January of 2019, um, it was like 20 to 30 hours a week. And I get asked a lot, like, how the hell do you do that? And a lot of it is like just managing your time. And, uh, you know, thankfully I also have like a really supportive partner in crime who, um, she also has like a really busy schedule where she's an, you know, an actor and, and you know, actors have a lot of rehearsals and things like that. And they have performances. And so our schedules really work together. Um, but I, I usually get up and if I don't have to be in the office like that day, I'll get up at like 7 a.m., make music for like two hours. Work starts at nine and work from home, maybe, you know, nine to five from five. You know, it's from like, all right, we're making music from like five to midnight. Repeat the process the next day. You know, and then the hours add up really quickly. You can get to 20 to 30 oh, yeah, hours yeah. really quickly. Uh, but it's 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 been really easy for me to balance um you know because i just and i try to take a lot of breaks and you need to take breaks also when you're mixing music um there's there's something literally called ear fatigue where you you really can't tell the difference between something that's bad or good Uh, it all just starts to sound one way to you and so it's important to take breaks give your ears a a rest um but yes it's been you know pretty straightforward for me i still have time for like friends and family and of course um you know my, my partner and i you know we always do a lot of things together and so it's great um, but it, that to me, it's, I feel so alive, you know, in, in those five, six hours after work, you know, from five to midnight, it's just, it's really an indescribable feeling. Uh, and sometimes it can get really frustrating. You know, sometimes the, the kind of the juices aren't flowing that day you wake up and you're just like, maybe you didn't get an, an, enough sleep the night before. And you're like, man, you know, I'm just, I'm not feeling creative. And I've gotten to a point where I made sure not to force it. I'm like, you know, okay. if, if melodies aren't coming tonight, they're not coming tonight. Go watch a movie, you know, go go to the bar with a friend, you know, grab grab a beer, you know, hang out. Um, and I've noticed I get a lot more uh, better output, you know, when I do that versus trying to force it where it's like, God damn it, I want to make a song today. I'm going to make a <laughs> No, that's horrible. And some people do challenge themselves. Like I was watching an interview with uh, electronic artist uh, Maddie and, uh, he actually just played at the 930 Club in D.C. a couple cool. weeks ago. He's really good. 
but he, he says every day he forces himself to write like a five song EP. And that's this, a lot. And this dude, I mean, this is his job. So he he's, he's in a good place where, you know, he, he can, can make a living off this. And so he literally, he has eight, eight to like midnight, you know, when he, when he does make music, he challenges himself to make it like a five song EP. And that to me, that, that to me is not my approach, a little, little too stressful for me. Um, cause I feel like then you're just like, why five? Why not just three? Right. Like if you make three really good songs, isn't that better than making five mediocre songs? And I would, I would rather do that. I think it's always quality over quantity, especially in yeah, music. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So that's my regimen, just a lot of music making and. You know, I do like to start the two hours in the morning is actually important for me because it kind of helps me. I'll be I'll like load a song in Ableton that I'm working on. And I'm like, OK, I have two hours before I have to start work. What are some things I want to think about? Like maybe throughout my day where, you know, you're like you're on your lunch break and you're just kind of like, mm, you know, how do I make that piano brighter? How do I make that kick drum sound, you know, harder? Like and your brain's always working. You know, you're always thinking about ideas and it helps because when I come back, you know, uh, later in the day, I'm like, you know, I, I sketched down three ideas while I was on my lunch break. Like, let me go ahead and try these three ideas. And so I like the two hours in the morning. I think it kind of kickstarts the day. And of course, like on the weekends, like, you know, if, if Bree, my partner, has like a, um, you know, like a rehearsal, you know, from like all Saturday or like a performance that day, you know, that's just like straight up you know just unadulterated music mm-hmm. time right and 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 those are great too because it's literally just get up cup of coffee breakfast and then just make music and in each day you know my goal I, I try to set loose goals but i for me it's always just focus on one song at a time you know it's, it's, it's easy as a musician to get distracted and be like this song is sucking or it's too hard i'm gonna go do this song no i try to like just stay focused and pick one song and try to do it very well and I really take my time. Like one of the things I, I don't like is uh, at the Mapleton meetups and I get why they do it, but they have these like time challenges where mm-hmm. um, they'll be like, all right, you know, you got to make a beat in like a minute and you got to show it to everybody. I hate those challenges because <laughs> I'm just like a beat's going to sound like crap. And uh, I don't like to be timed when I'm, when I'm making something creative. I really like to just relax. And at that point, it's not relaxing. So I'll set a goal. I'll be like, hey, by the end of the day, you know, really craft like a really great chorus, you know, because you're, you're starting on this path. It sounds like a chorus. It doesn't sound like a verse. It sounds very uplifting. It's very powerful. So finish this chorus. And then tomorrow you can work on like the transition. How do you want to go back into the verse or how does the verse lead into that chorus? You know, and then this, those are the kinds of goals that I set. And I feel like it, those are much more easily attainable than like, oh, write a whole EP Right. In a day. I can do that. It's going to sound like ass, but I can <laughs> I well, can do, do that. Do you think that, because it sounds like it's a very mature approach, methodical, analytical approach mm-hmm. to where not only are you giving yourself maybe an end goal in sight, but also knowing the importance of breaks That's right. and fatigue. Do you credit that more to just being older as far as your approach to the music now compared to what you could have been when you were younger, like if you started this project when you were 16, 17, what do you think that you would have changed or done differently back then that you're doing now? That's a great question. I I don't think I would have been as disciplined as to learning like everything I need to learn. I think I would try to take a lot more shortcuts in Mm -hmm. my twenties. 
Um, you know, I remember even like playing drums and being like, oh, I don't really need to replace the drum head. It'll last another six months. And then <laughs> and eventually their guitar player is like, dude, that drum head sounds awful. Like, or the cymbal is cracked. You need to buy a new cymbal, but they cost $200. Right. Too right. bad. Go buy a new one. Right. And so like, you, like I would not have cared about mixing. I would have been like, I don't care if the mix is muddy. Like I'm, I'm putting out music now that I'm in my mid thirties. I'm like, no, it's really important to have something that's high quality it's important to take your time, you know, and so, and, and I probably would have also like not have focused a lot on making my own sound. I probably would have just been so happy, like cr- starting a project in my twenties. Like I imagine 23 year old advocate being like, Oh, <laughs> you know, let's, let's, I mean, I'm making, I'm making music, man. You know, I would have just been so excited and I wouldn't have been disciplined, but now I'm like, look, when you get older you're like you understand how important it is that when you submit something out in the world if it's not good quality you get like one shot for a lot of people yeah and they're gonna be like this the songs these songs are not good you know and then you you won't get that listener ever again most likely and and that to me is it's heartbreaking and so i really try to think about like look i'm really and there were times where i'm like you know, is this album good enough? Should I put it out? You know, I would, I would sit down with Brie and be like, you know, you know, like, babe, is this good enough? Like, you know, and she's been really great at like pushing me and encouraging me, um, which I feel like is also like something that's, that's really helpful and needed, um, whether, no matter what field you're in, you need that, that soundboard and someone to push you, encourage you in the right direction. Um, but there's times where it's just like, you become your, you're your harshest critic um, mm-hmm. because you like you're like this is the first album and it has to blow people away it has to be like august and everything after and you get inside your head and and never works out yeah yeah and so i got to a point where i was like look it's good enough you know and that's that's really it's hard to draw that line a lot of musicians ask each other well, how do you know it's good enough and it's just like when you know that for the everyday listener they would find this enjoyable and you're, you're staying true to yourself you're staying true to your sound you're not doing things that you, you don't want to do you know, and, and you're not also trying to imitate somebody. Um, so that's that's hard for a lot of musicians to break out of is it's human nature to compare yourself. And like I've been really loving this guy from he actually lives in Scotland on the Isle of Skye, which is a really small island off of Scotland. His project is called Last Island. And uh, Spotify told me that he was the number one artist I've been listening to all year. Um, but his music is amazing. And I'm like, Man, I'll never sound like that. Like in the beginning, when I started making January, I was like, God, I wish I could make music like him. And at a moment where I was like, but I'm not him, you know, like he's right. had unique, right. I mean, this guy was probably most likely born and raised in Scotland, like on a farm somewhere, like, you know, very different life experiences and he's crafted his own sound. And so I was like, you know what? I, I don't need to be like anybody else. I'm just going to be like myself, but it takes many years for people to kind of get there, especially like when you're, you're told like you should sound like somebody cause it's easier for people to identify. It's easier for record labels to kind of like categorize you and and that was frustrating for me because i was like well i don't want to be categorized right well it's also it's interesting i think there's two two viewpoints of that one is you want to be in the genre of whoever you idolize Mm -hmm. a lot of times because you want to play their music you learn their music first and then you're just like okay well i guess i'm going to be prog rock or emo or whatever Mm -hmm. right i want to start an uh, an instrumental band that's what i want to do because all i listen to is pelican or yeah whatever you know um i think that's interesting i I also think that when you're a music critic or you're a music fan 
trying to figure out what you sound like is also really important mm-hmm. because you're trying to speak a language to where it makes sense. So right. if you're saying that you sound like Depeche Mode, I love Depeche Mode. Let me right. go ahead and listen to your stuff. Right. If you're saying that you sound like uh, Nine Inch Nails or, or oh, something yeah. something yeah. like industrial or like what whatever it is, right? Something choppy. Like you have to also think of the different words to describe yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I don't know if you've kind of like went into this when it comes to the marketing, but you have to like describe what you are, which is very, very difficult. It's hard. It's hard. And I, and I actually let people, I let some other people do that for me actually through yeah, a feedback okay. session. So it's, it's funny too, when you submit your songs to Spotify, to their playlists, um, so every, every release you can submit one song. And you know these are people that work for Spotify. That all they do is get paid to listen to music, and they get to decide which playlist. It's not a bad job, but it's I feel sweet, like it would be yeah. fatigue a little bit. Yeah, because I can imagine all like the, you know the crappy music they have to listen to as well. <laughs> um, you know, so but they they make you choose up to three subgenres over right. fifty categories. Right. And so I was like, when I first submitted my first single, Kenna. I was like. What do you mean? I'm electronic music. What do you mean subgenres? And I'm sitting there. I spent like an hour and I was like, I don't know what future bass is. I don't know what progressive house is. I know what house is, but what's the difference between house and techno? Yeah, that's that's hilarious because you go in, uh, like, I feel like I know a a decent amount about music. I Uh I feel like I know what post-punk is, what... uh, prog rock is what, what all this all this other stuff i i feel like i know the staples of it right mm-hmm. there's a whole other world out there that you have no idea about right and when someone tells you yeah these guys are like a space rock jazz yeah. what i don't even know what that is that's right like math rock you're like yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, it, it just means they're using complicated time signatures it's like right, okay right um but yeah that, that was weird and so I, I went to an ableton meetup and and a multiple and i was like guys what do you think this is and thankfully it was really helpful because like this trans musician michelle she listened to the, the song play she's like you're definitely synthwave and i was like what the hell is that <laughs> and I, was like, I mean it sounds cool synthwave and then that was one of the categories that spotify had and so uh-huh. I, I listened to songs that are synthwave and it's all 80s yeah very yeah. very nostalgic sound a lot of synthesizers purely electronic not a lot of vocals and so I was like, I guess I, I guess I fit there, but I don't really like sound eighties. And then people told me, they're like, we well, were like an exotic synth. <laughs> and I'm like, we're just making stuff up now. Like you can be whatever you yeah, want. Yeah. Well, be. you, you have to, right. Cause you try to like language is silly where you're trying to define what you're hearing. You're right. trying to define what you're seeing. You're trying to make it make sense to you. Mm-hmm. Cuz you have to like process whatever whatever signal is coming into. You got to pr- be able to process it and put a label on it. That's why right. genres are important and then also not important because if you're making good music, people will still flock to the music, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they have to be able to process it and figure out what you're doing. So like this show, for example, I remember doing those three genres. Be like, okay, what are you? Well, I guess I'm lifestyles. I guess I'm music. I guess I'm interview. I guess I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life. I have no idea. Right. And then you have to figure out like an elevator pitch of what how you describe your show or your music and you have to try and figure out the, all the ins and outs and, and do that quick pitch just to get other people to pay attention to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, 
mind-boggling how much stuff is out there, first of all. Because like I was saying earlier, there's a niche for everything, right? Mm-hmm. But if you can if you can even try to like make it as simple as possible, be like, yes, I'm this or I'm that, or no, I'm an actual amalgamation of all of these mm-hmm. different things. Yeah. How do I even do that? And I don't want to be labeled. Labels are dumb. Yeah, and and that's the thing that's a double edged sword because they are dumb, but I find that they can help. They can help attract people to your music, and you know, I and I, and I remember one time I used it to my advantage where you know I was talking to my friend Josh, and he was like, "What? What does one of your songs sound like?" I was like, it "Sounds like Ratatat," and it does. I have this song that's not released yet; it'll be on the album called "Sometimes," and it's very like has like a robotic kind of sound to it. It's kind of like a palate cleanser on the album because it sounds a little different than the rest of the songs, but it still sounds cohesive. And he was like, oh, I love Ratatat, you know? <laughs> and so it's it's great to do things like that. Um, but it definitely, it, it's it's critical to getting on playlists. And like, I was really lucky recently. I got, uh, through Submit Hub, I got placed on this playlist called Adderall. Um, so it's a Spotify playlist that is targeted for music for people who are studying, studying yeah. doing homework. Interesting name. But, uh, I mean, I was like really excited because they have 8,000 followers and I was like, oh, wow. And so the guy who owns the, um, the playlist messaged me, accepted my submit hub request. And he was like, dude, your music is like, it's exactly what I'm looking for his playlist. And that helped. And so now I tell people, I'm like, I think my music's really good for if you're in a coffee shop or you're just like studying or doing something, you need music in the background it's a good candidate for that. And that helps people. They're like, oh, so you make like chill music. I'm like, yeah, I don't have to get into the synth wave. You know, I don't right. Because right. most people are like, their eyebrows raised. They're like, what is that? I make people, I make music for people that want to focus. Yes. And so that's exactly right. And that that's helped a lot. Um, but yeah, there's like intelligent, was it intelligence, intelligent dance music? IDM. Mm-hmm. I apparently Spotify says I fall into that. And I'm just like, it, it literally is music that is thoughtful that has like a nice chill, there may be sense, but it has a nice chill beat that's great to study to. I yeah. mean, that to me is uh, like... It's, it's funny because that's, that's what I listen to at work a little bit here and there is like lo-fi beats and uh, stuff to, to, to focus you in. And I think, I think that's a double-edged sword too because it's not like music that you have to kind of pump you up. It's the stuff that you have on the background which is like a little discerning because you can't really tell what it is. Yeah. So you're just like, oh yeah, that guy sounds like this. This track sounds like this track. This, they're all the same people, right? Right. right. No, there there is some deviation in there, and it, I think that's funny. Um, because I'll I'll listen to lo-fi beats all the time. That's one of the playlists that's on there too, and that's that's something that just like I I keep grooving, mm-hmm. which is great. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that. But then at one point, you're just like, okay, this is the same artist, right? So you have to be able right. to figure out how to differentiate differentiate yourself even within that same playlist. You hope that you don't get... You hope that one of two things happens, I think, right? So one, that you make your mark in that, that list that makes that person want to go pursue your music. Right. But also that you can still keep going and still keep uh, going through the the whole bit in there to kind of feel safe to where you're able to permeate different little playlists and different little genres to where you're able to get more playlists, more plays, more mm-hmm. like streams. Yeah, 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 just more exposure, right? Uh-huh. That's that's kind of the whole bit. Um, but yeah, that's that's interesting. I I really like that because it's it is a double edged sword where I make music. To help people focus, 
So do you just like not make emotional like heartstring music yeah, yeah. to where your your people are like just falling into the the music? Mm-hmm. Just something that you it's it's not elevator music, is it? Because exactly. you got you to kind of combat what you're doing yeah. too a little bit, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and because you're, you're making a good, a good point that there's different types of chill music, right? There's like chill step. There's elevator music. I mean, jazz could be classified, you know, as like relaxing music. And so, and, and that's why, maybe that's why they've created some genres like IDM, like intelligent dance music, because it, 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 it does a decent job of being like, look, these are things like Aphex Twin, um, and, and other artists that aren't, it's not EDM because EDM is Calvin Harris, Zed, like, you know, like the, the dance summer hits that are coming out. Um, IDM is, is, you know, a little bit more, maybe complex music, a little bit, there's a lot of more subtle things going on. Yeah. And so I've learned to embrace it. I've learned to love it now. Um, but yeah, I, I remember I was like offended. I was like, what do you, <laughs> what do you mean I need to classify in the three subgenres? And like people at the meetups are like, dude, man, this is how it works. And, they, and that was helpful, like getting that perspective where people, other musicians were like, look, like I was telling you about Michelle. She was like, I'm a trans artist. I've learned to embrace it. Um, but you listen to her music, like it, it I mean, it, to me, it's, it's, it sounds like great music, but it's apparently trance, you know? Right. And I don't really know the difference between techno, techno and trance. Um, but I realized that she embraced it and my other friend, Jason embraced it. And I was like, okay, like th- this is necessary. If I really want to be serious about this and I really want the marketing to work, I have to know where I fit in the market. Right. And so, yeah, I, I've embraced it now. I'm synthwave all the way. It's fine. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, I think you said Michelle was listening to Kenna and that's what she said, right? That it was uh, synthwave? It was Vices. Vices. Okay. Because yeah. I think I think that's the one that I was like, yeah, I know what this is. Like this is, you just, it's a cop chase with neon lights and you're just <laughs> going through, like it's Miami Vice. That's what that is. Um, that's funny. Yeah. So, and that's. It, when you were describing that story, I was like, oh, yeah, that's what popped in my head, too. So I guess I'm just as bad. I don't know. It's it's weird because that's when you're into music and you're into the, all the different genres, you you gravitate towards something that sounds familiar, right? Mm-hmm. To try to make it like, oh, yeah, I like that. I like that. What is that? And then once you learn it, you're just like, I'm going to go find all the things that are mm-hmm. this. So that that's funny because that, that's the exact same thing that popped in my head. And I'm pretty sure it was Vice's. So that's great. And I, I think I really liked Kenna. I think that was the one that stood out to me the most. There's um there's a piano line that goes through over and over throughout the whole. And I'm hoping this is also the one that kind of slows down where it's just the drum and piano for a second. But I don't remember that now. Might, that might be Kenna. Yeah, Kenna, Kenna yeah, I think, yeah. is the one that I like the most. Okay. Because I just like the little dynamic in there with the different... There's like three or four piano tracks mm-hmm. or like synth tracks that go through that. And it, it sounds really good. So I was listening yeah, to that you. earlier and I, I was just like, that's the standout for me. So I, I really dug it. But I want to close on this. So what do you think you've learned most about yourself when it comes to music and this project? Yeah, I think for me, I've learned that resilience and tenacity is key. Like you really, if you're really serious about something, no matter what the project is, you can't give up. And I remember the hardest, the hardest thing for me after, after I learned how the software worked and after I learned how to put like beats together and stuff, it was just creating like a really good track. And Kenna was actually the first track I ever finished. And it's, it's interesting because that, that typically is a fan favorite and people are like, oh, how catchy it is. And then that's always great to hear. 
But I'm like, man, if they saw how much work went into that, that was one that took like two to three months because I created it. And remember, I create. I started in January. I created that like in end of January, February, like the first kind of skeleton of it. And I thought I was done. And so I was like, <laughs> I, was, I was like, honey, check out this track I just made, you know, and like I showed my mom and like, you know, and they're just like, uh, yeah. And I could see you know, people were just like, yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. And I just like, what? It's like, oh, yeah. And some, some of my friends were like, yeah, it just, it doesn't really sound like a song yet. I'm like, huh, that's interesting feedback. And it, and it didn't, but I was just so excited that I, it was pre- just that I, part. Yeah. Like yeah. I produced something and and or I would get feedback. It sounds like a song, but it sounds like the, it, it's like a framework of a song, but you could add more stuff into it. And that's also great feedback to really kind of listen in, in on. Uh, and so I kept working at it, kept working at it. And it was really frustrating. And uh, this has to me, in my opinion, this has nothing to do with talent. It's just like like being tenacious and being like, mm-hmm. I'm going to make this song sound as good as I can get it. Right. And I just kept working at it, trying different things like. You know, I, there's a, a part at the very end of the song where I sl- I automate the t- uh, the tempo of the song and I slow it down, and so I, it cuts the tempo by about 25 to 30 percent. I had no idea how to do that. I went to like an Ableton meetup. I was like, "How do you guys like, you know, make a song slow down at the end?" And one of the guys was like, "Automate the master tempo," and I was like, "I have no idea how to do that." <laughs> you know, and like guy literally showed me, and now it's like super simple. It takes two seconds to do. You know, but it's just like that to me was the thing I, I learned the most was it's very easy to just kind of, you know, do this with your hands and you're like, I'm done, track's done. Uh, but if you really want like high quality, uh, like a deliverable that people are going to be like, yes, this is really good. It's really good music. And people are going to feel that emotional connection to it takes a lot of time. And, you know, it, it's funny because I have friends that listen to my songs like, man, like, this is amazing in the sense of like, you just learn how to do this. Like you, you're so talented and tell me these nice things. I'm like, dude, I really don't, I think any, I think anybody could do this, right. But it takes time and takes effort and dedication, trial and, yeah. and error. I think anyone can really do this. Like this, the software is intuitive. There's a lot of resources out there to learn this stuff. Um, but for me, it was just, you know, really just not giving up. And then, and then you hit a stride where the first song was done. And I was like, I remember, you know, I'm being honest here. Like I got kind of emotional. I was sitting in the room and I was just like sitting there and I was like, man, like I, I created this first song and, and I released it on Facebook and a bunch of my friends were like calling me and texting me. And some people I have like some people I used to work with like five years ago that I guess I'm still on Facebook with that, we're just like, dude, listen to your track. It's 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 awesome. Like it's fire. And I'm like, what? Like I haven't talked to you in so many years, you know. And that to me, that really like warmed my heart because I was like, man, this is so amazing. And that's my news. Like I gotta keep going. Like it's resonating with people because I feel like if people really don't like what you're putting out, they wouldn't have reached out to you. Definitely not. Yeah. Right. They unless you asked them, they would they get the awkward like, oh, it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But this is unsolicited. Exactly. Like unsolicited feedback from people who are like, dude, I this has been on repeat. I've added it to my personal playlist. And just like, you do not need to say that, right? Especially for people I don't talk with, or maybe they're more like colleagues. Yeah. That to me was huge. And so once I hit that, I was like, now I needed to kind of, you know, imitate that. And it unfortunately doesn't get any easier. Like the second song <laughs> was even harder than the first, right? Because you're like, how do I recapture that magic? You right, can't, you can't, right, right. You, you can't bottle it. <laughs> there's, a, there's no like, just re, redo. And I've had you hear horror stories of like, 
you know, record labels just just create another hit. Just shut up, go in the corner, create another hit. And the bands are like, oh, we don't know what we did to do that. <laughs> we don't know how to like recreate that magic, you know. And that's why, like, I like Depeche Mode is my all time favorite band. And I talk with friends of mine who are huge fans. They're like, oh man, the last album was so bad. I'm like, it's really, really hard for them. Yeah, you know, they created Violator in the '80s and it came out in 1990. Songs of Faith and Devotion came out in 1993, which is another great album. They had these amazing like five or six albums in a the row. They got they were lucky and they were like really really talented and brilliant. But I don't blame those guys. They're in their 50s now, and like you expect them to create another Violator. Like that's really hard to do. Yeah. And then they're doing the best job they can. And so yeah, I got to a point where I was like, okay, I got three or four songs now. Do I want to release an EP? And I was like, no, I'm going to continue with my goal. I'm going to challenge myself because I. You know, in the beginning of the podcast, I said I had a goal of maybe around 10 songs. I was like, no, let's continue going. Let's con- let's continue moving forward. And yeah, and I was able to just get like, you know, and some songs I would write some songs and throw them out. Like this doesn't fit the album. It might be a good song, but it doesn't fit the cohesiveness right. of the album. It doesn't fit the sound. When I was working on song nine, this is interesting. I was working on song nine and I realized my sound was changing. And I, w- I didn't really kind of want to go back to the songs that I was creating. Okay. Like, I love the songs I created, but I was like, I was evolving as a musician. And I was using, like, for example, my ninth song had a lot of uh, orchestral percussion. So I was blending electronic music and synthesizers with or- orchestral percussion. And I thought that was unique. And I was really happy with that. And it was really hard to get the songs, the, the sounds to kind of work together and gel together. But I got to work together. And I was like, this ninth song is like really good. I thought it was really good. I sent it out to the interwebs, got some great feedback back to me. And I was like, but this doesn't fit the album. Sure. But then I was like, I don't know how to like, I I feel like this whole other tunnel of opportunities just opened up because I'm now experimenting with orchestral percussion. I I bought some, um, some new plugins for Ableton. Like I bought some new synthesizers that just produce amazing sounds. And I was like, I'm going to go this path now, like, because I just, you know, I, I've matured as a musician. And I think that happens with a lot of bands, musicians, every album. That's why people are like, ooh, I don't like this album, this band, but I like this album. This other album doesn't even sound like them. It's like, yeah. because they're maturing. Well, I was, so this is kind of silly, but at the same time, it, it goes right to what we're talking about. So I was watching Hot Ones, the mm-hmm. the chicken wing show yeah, uh, with Liam Gallagher. I, I love that show. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. But he said something that's interesting um, where he was talking about the perspective switches. So when you make money and you separate yourself from the fans, you're not writing for the people that you were 20 years ago. You're Mm -hmm. writing for, um, you know, you're, you're starting to be above them or be separated from the real life struggles that they were in that your music kind of resonates with. Mm -hmm. Right. So when he was talking about his writing process and what he was doing with that and how, you know, he's buying cars that he can't even drive and he has mm-hmm. a monkey at this point, um, <laughs> s- searching for the universal truths of love, yeah, you know, broken hearts and all that other stuff. Um, that's what he, he tries to simple it down a little bit. And I, I think that's interesting where, you have those, even with instrumental music and even with electronic music, where different parts of your life, you latch on to different sounds and mm-hmm. you latch on to different feelings and the the songs that invoke those feelings 
Um, that's, that's very difficult to try and replicate when you're not that same person. That's exactly right. That's spot on. You know, I was telling you earlier about Maddie on the electronic musician, um, who's really good. He's really influential in, in the scene. His first album, he released it when he was like 18 and this dude's from, he's, he's French and he's just, he's phenomenal. A smart guy, wicked smart. And the album sounds very youthful. Right. And he said in an interview, he was like, I wanted to create an album that reminded me of my teenage years. Well, duh, he was 18 or around that when he released it. So, of course, when he was producing those tracks, he was in his bedroom in France and like 15, 16 years old. Now his new album, Good Faith, just came out and it's kind of lukewarm on the Internet. It's like very polarizing. Some people are like, well, it doesn't sound like Adventure, his first album. I'm like, yeah, I mean, he's like a grown man now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, and he's like and is like you think he's like 23 or 24 now. And I'm like, I was very different at 24 as a person than when I was 18 or 17. Like my views and a lot of different things were different. Like the music I liked was expanding a lot more. And so I I love his second album. I think it's great. But I I saw it and I was like, yeah, you can't fault someone for going through that maturation. I mean, that's just life. But I I noticed that was happening to me as advocate. I was like, dude, this is this ninth song is a whole nother world. It's very different. I can't put this on the album. The album stops now. Like I like the, that. the story is told eight songs is plenty. Let's put it out there. See how. And you may not have done that 10 years ago. That's right. You may not even recognize it 10 years ago. What do you think has driven you the most to keep this project going and just music in general for you? I think for me, it's really just a love of the music. Like I, I've, I've always really like I, yeah, it's funny. My, my close friends tell me like, when you love something, you love something really hard. And I'm like, <laughs> I think that's a great personality trait to have. You know, be passionate about things. Uh, but yeah, for me, it's I I love creating things, and um, you know, and that's probably why I became like in college. I studied software development. Like I loved creating software and creating things that you know brought meaning to other people's lives. And for music, I just loved it. Like I grew up in a household that was constantly my parents were playing music. You know, and it's interesting. I think their music taste kind of shaped mine because they didn't listen to a lot of rock. It was all like a lot of it's a lot of cheesy pop. You know, and, <laughs> and 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 I and I love that stuff now, right? Like I don't mind you know Katy Perry from time to time, like. The girl can sing, right? So, and you appreciate the the actual like beats and and whatnot more when you figure out how they're actually made, because that's a lot of individual tracks. Yeah, and I recognize a lot of things now that I I feel like I'm somewhat decent at mixing and I know how to do the basics of it. When I hear like a professional, like any professional band. I'm like, oh, wow, the mixer pan this instrument like 10% yeah. to the right. Yeah. I, I understand their decisions. And I'm like, oh, they did that because they wanted to increase the stereo width. Right. So and I am, I'm recognizing certain techniques they use. And because I've studied those same techniques for my album. Yep. Um, but for me, it's really just, it's the love, like the love of the music. I love doing, I love creating things. It's, I, I, I it's just funny. This is going to get deep, but. I feel it's like it's sad when I you, you meet people in life who just like don't have like any outlet other than like work. Mm-hmm. You know, they have work and it's great that like work it can be your thing. And that's like that's your passion. That's awesome. But I think it's important to even if you're just like drawing or painting, like having something where you're doing something, not because your boss is telling you to do it, but because you just love doing it. There's no expectations. There's no infinite growth year over year <laughs> growth. You know, It's just like, you know, you're doing something because you love doing it. And for me, I just I, I I love creating and I love feeling like I'm in this cohort of musicians. I love being in this cohort of electronic musicians where I'm constantly inspired, 
you know, and yeah, I just, I, I love it. And so it's, it's a project that's going to continue you know, going on. I feel like 2020 is going to be a very exciting year for me. I'm going to play out as many shows as I can. I don't care if it's bar mitzvahs, like barbecues, <laughs> wherever people will have me, I will gladly play. And then, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm already thinking about album two. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. And it's probably going to, it might be an EP, um, but I'm going to follow a similar approach to the Sounds first good. album. I think that's it, man. Yeah. Awesome. Thank cool. you. You're welcome.